Thank you for listening. This is Ken Feith with the Metro Nashville Archives, and this is our segment Back in the Day. We have a very uh, interesting guest with us today, and she's going to talk about the exhibit that's set up at the archives currently, and I want to introduce uh, Sarah Arntz. She's an archivist with the archives, and she is our program coordinator, so I'll just turn it over to her. Thank you, Ken. So today our podcast, podcast guest is Dr. Elizabeth Taylor, a military history enthusiast. Dr. Taylor has master's degrees in political science and public administration and holds a doctorate in public administration. She is a retired higher education administrator, and for more than a decade now, she has researched topics such as World War II, the U.S. home front, and American government. She curated the current exhibit that's been on display in Metro Archives since September of this year, and we are happy to have her with us today. Dr. Taylor, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and how it pertains to your current work with this exhibit you curated? Yes, I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for having me today. A little bit about me. I actually um, am from Georgia. I live on the south side of Atlanta. Uh, No real connection to Tennessee or the military, but had a professor that started telling me about POWs that were brought to the U.S. during World War II, and I thought that he was pulling my leg because I had never heard such stories for all the decades I was in college. And I started researching Camp Forest and found it absolutely fascinating and my OCD went into hyper overdrive, and <laughs> here 10 years later, I'm still researching it. I did my first book on Camp Forest. It's uh, Images of America series. It has over 400 photographs of what life was like to live around and to train at a major military installation. And then the second book uh, captured a lot of oral histories from military personnel and civilians that uh, were there uh, during World War II, and am currently working on a third book that's going to look at some of the aspects of World War II military histories, specifically at Camp Forest, uh, that you don't really hear about. Um, Veterinarians, um, the Signal Corps um, Pigeon Division, (laughs) and things like that. So uh, I hope it'll interest people and uh, spur their curiosity to do more research. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So what is your uh, what is your exhibit specifically focusing on? This particular exhibit focuses on the prisoners of war that were held at Camp Forest during World War II. Uh, at its peak, over sixty thousand soldiers were processed there, and over twenty thousand were detained. And so this takes you kind of through what life was like to be a POW during that time period, and also the artwork that they created. Uh, We have some beautiful uh, drawings to watercolors, paintings, metalworks, carvings, and so it gives you a different glimpse into life at that time. So what, uh, really, uh, you already kind of spoke about the research you've done. What sort of inspired you to create an exhibit with it? It actually was happenstance. Uh, As I was doing research, people would start telling me about uh, the POWs that their families encountered and the wonderful little works um, that POWs created for them. And I uh, talked with the president of the Tullahoma Fine Arts Center one day, and I said, it'd be neat if you had an exhibit of this, not thinking that I would do it. And so he looks at me and says, 
I think you should do it. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, okay, I guess you put your money where your mouth is. And, and so six months later, I, I had the, the first exhibit. And it has been phenomenal and extraordinarily rewarding. Um, after Tullahoma, we went to uh, Hartsville in Trousdale County, uh, Vol State in Gallatin. And so now we're here at the Metro Archives, and it's been so wonderfully well-received, um, convenient hours to come see it. So uh, it's just been an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so for our listeners, can you explain a little bit about what, uh, how Camp Forest came to be, uh, when that was, and what its purpose was during the war? Camp Forest was an induction training and POW facility in the outskirts of Tullahoma. It actually evolved from the um, Tennessee National Guard training base, Camp P. Camp P was about 1,000 acres from about 1926 to about 1940. Uh, Governor Prentice Cooper at the time realized that the U.S. would ultimately uh, engage in, in World War II, so he uh, managed to get the contracts for another, a lot of military bases, and Camp Forest was one of them. And so it was expanded from that initial 1,000 acres to 80,000 acres. And in less than about 18 months, they built um, over 1,000, 1,300 buildings, 55 miles of roads, 5 miles of railroad tracks. It was, at the time, the fifth largest city in Tennessee. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so the exhibit you mentioned specifically focuses on the German POWs who were detained at Camp Forest. Uh, in general, what was their experience like during their time there? For the most part, the people that were at Camp Forest were glad to be POWs. They were glad to not be uh, fighting overseas. Um, that's not to say that you didn't have any ardent Nazis. Um, when you have 20,000 people in a small confined space, uh, you're going to have a few problems. But for the most part, um, everybody coexisted fine. Uh, farmers could come and obtain labor to work on farms. Um, they had their own gardens and orchards at Camp Forest, had a whole host of activities that they could be involved in. And was that the only German POW camp in the, I'm assuming maybe the state, but in the country, do you know? No, uh, there were in Tennessee over 11 POW camps. Okay. Hmm. There were four that were permanent, uh, Camp Forest, Camp Crossville. Uh, Crossville housed more of your officers. Hmm. And then uh, Lewisburg and um, also around uh, Camp Campbell as well. And then the other six were scattered throughout. Okay. I read in your book, the um, Camp Forest one, that there was maybe one or two um, prisoners that tried to escape. Does that <laughs> Do you know the story behind those at all? Yes, there were escapes. Uh, for the most part, once they realized they were in the middle of nowhere, uh, it was easier just to turn around and come back, <laughs> especially in a, a cold fall Tennessee uh, uh, winter uh, weather. But one in particular that sticks out in my mind is the young man who fell in love with country music. 
<laughs> uh, POWs could have radios in their barracks, and so they, they listened to um, a wide range of music. And when he realized how close he was to Nashville, he devised a plan where he got some civilian clothes, walked out of the camp, just right <laughs> out the gate like he knew what he was doing, managed to get a uh, one-way train ticket to Nashville, got his ticket to the Opry, enjoyed um, his time there. And then when it was over, he went to the nearest police station and turned himself in so he could get a ride back to camp. Oh, my God. Pretty clever. <laughs> exactly. So the love of country music spans all. Apparently so. It's uh, worldwide. Yes. Yeah. Um, so have you had any contact with any of the former uh, POWs? Uh, I don't know that. I doubt any are still living. but I have not directly with POWs, but each month I have uh, relatives that contact me and want to know about, um, sometimes specifically about their relatives. And I've not yet got to that level of detail where I can talk about individuals, but I can give them information about kind of what life was like. Uh, we've had people that have flown here to try to see Camp Forest because they don't understand that it doesn't exist anymore. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do with the Camp Forest Foundation is to provide a place where people can come and if they enjoy hiking, we'll take you out, let you see some of the grounds. If you don't, we can let you see some of the museum artifacts and exhibits that we have. And it just depends on how active you want to be. Okay. And uh, that's a good segue, actually, since we haven't mentioned the foundation too much. Um, when did when did you establish that? And what, I guess, you kind of already explained its goal overall. But, yeah, um, what is its underlying intention, I suppose? Our goal with the Camp Forest Foundation is to continue the research, but also to encourage other um, students to research, um, whether they be in school now or adults, um, to ultimately, once we get enough money in the foundation to offer scholarships to students, uh, making sure that they know appropriate ways to do research, not to do research, handling artifacts and, and things like that. Um, while the focus is Camp Forest, that's not to say that um, individuals with interests in other wartime eras, we welcome them as well. Hmm. Okay. When you were doing your research, where specifically did you go to to, to find the resources uh, on, the, on the camp? Yeah. The Great Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for that initial book, uh, I actually didn't come to Tennessee, but I was able to, um, and this was even pre-COVID, access a lot of resources online, making phone calls, um, doing a lot by mail, email, uh, electronically. Um, once I did that initial research, now it's actually going, talking with people, learning their stories, talking with relatives, learning those stories secondhand as well. Okay. Does the National Archives then, do they hold a lot of original records from Camp Forest? They do. Mm -hmm. uh, the unfortunate part with the National Archives, they're not fully reopened, mm -hmm. but a lot of the photographs and artifacts have not yet been cataloged. Just because the massive amounts that they have, they're still going through it. Um, also, as you probably know, each archivist has their own way of doing things. So there's little 
details that differ, so <laughs> it can be challenging to find things. Yes, we do know that very well. <laughs> okay. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the airfield and the training base that was located north of Tullahoma, named for William Northern? Yes. Uh, next to Camp Forest, about a mile outside of it, was a Army Air Corps training base. It had kind of started out as part of Camp Forest, but it became its own entity. It um, trained uh, B-17, B-24 bombers. There were a lot of uh, unique divisions that were there, weather reconnaissance, observation planes. Um, It became as important a base as Camp Forest. It wasn't as large, but they had uh, the PX, um, mess halls, barracks, and and things like that. So it it was self-sufficient as well. Unfortunately, for what reasons I don't yet know, finding stuff on Northern Field is extremely difficult. Hmm. So That's interesting. Any listeners have anything, please contact me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who was William Northern? William Northern was a phenomenal young man. He lived in Nashville. Uh, His family were um, here in Nashville as well. And he was the first Tennessean to um, perish in World War II. Um, When we had our previous reception, we were going through the the Central High School yearbooks, and we actually found some pictures of him. I can't remember the details of, uh, but I seemed like he was a bit of a charismatic person. <laughs> Very much so. And uh, in there, uh, it also said he was a prankster, uh, went through, became an Eagle Scout, trained um, other scouts as well afterward. Uh, he was at Vanderbilt. During his sophomore year, um, he had been involved in student government, so he was well aware of, of world events as well. And they offered a scholarship that allowed him to leave Vanderbilt and obtain his uh, flight training. And so at Berry Field, he did his initial training to become a pilot and then joined the Air Corps, went to Randolph Field, um, I believe Selfridge Field in Michigan, and did his um, training and uh, toward the end of December off the coast of San Diego during a... um, reconnaissance mission uh, there on the uh, shores, um, they had an accident with one of his, um, during formation, and so uh, his plane went down in the ocean. Wow. I was going to ask. I wasn't sure where it was, if he was overseas or if he was in in the country. It's a a shame. Yes. What year was that? Do you know? 1941. uh, War had just not even been two weeks declared. So he he really was the first Tennessean after the war had been declared, and and so there's no there's no uh, grave really. I guess he I didn't realize he went down at sea. I guess they're out over mm-hmm. the Pacific somewhere. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, nothing was recovered of mm-hmm. the plane body, et cetera, just due to the sheer impact. Mm, poor guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Goodness. Um, well, I guess rewinding just a little bit, um, what was the home front like in Tullahoma, I guess, at the beginning of the war and maybe before and as things progressed? I think before the war, uh, Tullahoma had experienced, like a lot of Middle Tennessee uh, towns in 
that time period, the, the Great Depression, they were still feeling the effects of that. With the construction brought an influx of people and money, and so people began renting rooms, and so you had a great kind of economic upheaval um, during that time period. You had soldiers on weekend passes that you couldn't get anywhere, and so people that I've talked to that were kids or young adults during that time period, they said, we didn't go to town because you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't eat, you, you couldn't shop because of all the soldiers, their families that were here. So it was just constant activity. Uh, they built additional theaters, additional uh, restaurants and things like that to um, help with all the uh, soldiers and families that came. So it was pretty tiny before the war then? It was. Mm-hmm. I believe it was at 7,500 people and then went to, I don't know, I think it was 40,000. I Just huh. massive upheaval. Wow. Goodness. Um, what happened to it after the end of the war? Afterward, uh, once everyone left, um, it just it kind of went back to not exactly pre-war population, but uh, the hopes were that it would still hold that same level of, of the economy. Um, AEDC came on board. It did not bring that pre-war, World War II levels the same, but it did kind of offset just flattening um, or, or going down. Mm. Okay. Um, and then what's in the place of it now? You said there's really not much left from Camp Forest? There's not much left. Camp Forest was decommissioned and dismantled in 1946, and everything, lock, stock, and barrel, was sold off. Uh, even the uh, sewage pipes were <laughs> dug up. The electrical uh, systems were dug up. So wow. uh, you have to be careful because even the wells, you know, they just left the holes. Oh, my. So... Um, uh, Arnold Engineering Development Complex has about 40,000 of the original 80. The National Guard uses about 20,000 acres for training, and the rest is just uh, vacant. There are roads and chimneys that are still out there, but it's still pretty much a time capsule. You can see a lot of the tank tracks that were out there from the maneuvers, and um it's just amazing to kind of walk literally back in those footsteps. So it's not necessarily a graveyard per se, but it's just kind of desolate. So in and of itself. So if anybody wants to go down and and see it, they just see kind of a lack of what was there pretty much. It it is. And Mm -hmm. when you come off uh, Interstate 24 on that Tullahoma exit for AEDC, that main road, it's now called Wattendorf. But that was what was Forest Boulevard at the time. So that was the main road through Camp Forest. So if you drive slowly, you'll see a lot of little roads that go off on either side. And there's um, dirt berms Mm -hmm. that are there. But those are the original company streets. And so those roads are still intact today, 80 plus years later, mint condition pretty much. And you can see some of it um, that is behind the old ball fields and things like that as well. So it really is like a like a relic site, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in more many ways. Yeah, sort somewhat like maybe Fort Negley in a way, as far as the ruins. Yeah, you know? I was thinking Fort Negley and um, 
the munitions plant that was down in Old Hickory during the war. Oh, yeah, uh, Dupont down there. Yeah. yeah. So, but that at least they had buildings there for a very long time. It's just not related to it anymore. Of the few buildings that are left, my understanding is that instead of using um, cement where you could chip it away, because people would go and do brick recovery after the war, um, they were done with um, some kind of mortar. So you couldn't break them apart. It's just <laughs> literally stuck. So. Can't take that one with you. <laughs> yes. Um, I've had some uh, uh, people tell me they were, um, you know, 10 or 12 at the time. And so it was big money. You got a penny a brick. And so you'd clean all the cement off and collect your money at the end of the day. They sold the bricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waste not, what not. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. You know, took the whole can. My camp. goodness. Uh, I guess coming from a museum that side for a museum perspective, I should say um, this past weekend I was up in New York City and I went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. And that sort of reminds me a little bit of what they've done, what they've created as a museum. It's sort of it's what's uh, they created a museum out of what was left over. So it's really impactful because you see, okay, this is how it started. This is what's happened. Here's what's here now. So it's it's very reverent. It's yeah, it's quite something. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, I definitely recommend visiting it. I mean, it's not, not something that you enjoy per se, but it is something that's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, moving on a bit, uh, we can't necessarily discuss Camp Forest without also mentioning the Tennessee Maneuvers. Uh, some of our listeners might have heard of the Maneuvers, but for those that haven't, can you explain what they were and how Camp Forest ties into that? The Tennessee Maneuvers was the simulated war games. So in preparing men after they had their basic training, they actually put them through particular exercises. And uh, we had two maneuvers in Tennessee, uh, one in uh, 41 and then uh, 43 and 44. And they went across the 26 uh, counties in Middle Tennessee. Camp Forest was the logistics hub at that time. During the second maneuvers, the headquarters was at Cumberland University in Lebanon. Uh, You had Patton during the second maneuvers. Um, It's said because so much training occurred in Tennessee that one out of seven on the European front received some type of training in Tennessee. Wow. Wow. So even though you had the Carolina maneuvers, the Louisiana maneuvers, California, Arizona, um, what happened here was on a massive scale. Uh, We had troops such as the Ghost Army, which was um, the art of deception. They were um, activated here at Camp Forest and trained. We had the Rangers were activated and received their initial training, the second and fifth, and you can still see their training sites. Um, What we kind of take for granted now in military training for the um, urban warfare, clearing villages and things like that, that was new then. And the village, uh, mock German village at Camp Forest was called Fuhrerville. And so they learned how to clear and identify booby traps, which could be behind a picture, a whiskey bottle, anything. And they scaled the the cliffs throughout Middle Tennessee, and those were uh, 
the practice run, if you will, for those cliffs on D-Day. Hmm. Pretty cool. complex uh, as far as the maneuvers here with the amount of people involved and the equipment and the places and the people. and It's fascinating. It, it sounds like just a, a beautifully choreographed, choreographed dance, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you will, just so many units and you had the red army and the blue army and they'd fight for so many days and then they'd go back and what they did wrong what they did right and um learning from that i had a i had a uncle stationed there and one of the things he told me so they came in at night he was from cincinnati and they came in at night and he the train station he looks out and sees this big sign says tullahoma and he was thinking where on earth is tullahoma into the middle of nowhere. Yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we do have a part of the exhibit actually does feature the Tennessee maneuvers. So if anyone's listening and they um, want to come see the exhibit, you can learn a little bit more about them that way. Um, what is your favorite piece in this collection? Wow, that is <laughs> a hard one. Um, I think my favorite piece is it, it, it's a um, kind of pen and ink drawing. And it's of a baby, and uh, it has a little grumpy face, but it just has this big tear. And for me, it just brings home the humanity of it. I mean, the landscapes are beautiful, but that POW at that time, remembering that, probably thinking home for his siblings or his children Mm -hmm. as well, it's very impactful for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, And what do you want visitors uh, of the exhibit to take away most? What I would love for them to take away most, um, of course, a thorough understanding of World War II, but Hmm. that's okay. (laughs) Um, But the humanity of it then and now, that we can't necessarily hide behind our cell phones, our keyboards, and the like, um, that we're all individual persons and there's always more to the story for POWs. We see the documentaries, we see Facebook posts, we see uh, stories of Nazis and the horrors of concentration camps, but that's only one side of it. There were thousands upon thousands of people who didn't want to fight and their choice was you'll either fight or I'll kill you right now. Hmm. And given that choice, we could see why selecting a uniform of that would be the option, um, but understanding their story and their motivations and, and what they did after the fact with what they learned at Camp Forest. Um, Camp Forest gave POWs the opportunity to obtain education. Uh, I met a young man whose grandfather uh, had a certificate where he learned American history. <laughs> And a lot of them were able to obtain college degrees. College professors came in and and taught them classes. So I, I think that would be my, my biggest thing that I'd love visitors to take away. Hmm. Yeah. Um, for most of the artifacts that are in the exhibit, where, so you received them mostly from families, or where did you obtain most of those from? Variety of things. <laughs> a variety of things. A lot of them I have uh, found online um, and, and collected, um, kind of saving that aspect of, of history, if you will, to make sure it's not lost to time. Some of them are on loan from, from families as well. Okay. 
that wraps up my questions. Do you have any more? Uh, no, but I just want to thank you for your time, uh, Dr. Taylor. It's been great having you here and, and learning about Tullahoma and the huge changes that went on there during World War II and the, the POWs being here. And it's interesting how we, um, we were so very lenient with our POWs and how, you know, they, they had educational opportunities. They could go out and work. Probably a lot of them were farmers anyway, so they were basically familiar mm-hmm. with what to do. So um, it's it's interesting that the United States took this um, outlook at it. It could be a lot different, mm-hmm. and so the United States was very uh, very generous in that that note. You know, I agree with you a hundred percent. My understanding is the reason for that is they uh, strictly followed those conventions of of the Geneva Convention uh, in the hopes that how we treated one country's POWs, that country would reciprocate. Um, in the case of Germany, we know that that was not the case, yeah. unfortunately. But fortunately, how we treated them did impact how they went home and rebuilt their country. Mm. So we can look at it from that perspective as well and, mm. and hopefully glean some positive. Yeah, definitely. And were these... All Germans? Were there any Italians or just Germans? No, there were German and Italians. Um, those two were, were segregated, obviously. And then once Italy switched sides, um, they were just released. Hmm. They weren't necessarily sent home or rejoined the fight. And so a lot of those um, Italians, um, former POWs, kind of did what they could do to survive. Churches opened their doors Uh, giving them a place to stay. Farmers gave them an opportunity to work. The history on the Italian POWs is not as plentiful as the Germans. I'm I'm not sure why. Uh, There are a few books, but I've not found a lot on the Tennessee connection for them. I've reached out to a number of organizations who are trying to look through their archives to see what they could find. Hmm. Yeah. Well, is there anything else about the exhibit that you wanted to share or about your research? Um, I would love for people to come and see the exhibit. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, What other types of exhibits that you would like to see? Uh, Like I said, with the Camp Forest Foundation and and being a career educator, I want to be able to develop things that we can take throughout Tennessee, but eventually throughout the Southeast to showcase this wonderfully unique history. So let me know other things that you would like to see as well. Hmm, Very good. And for our listeners, the exhibit, which is uh, Camp Forest, Tennessee, World War II POW exhibit, Friend, Enemy, or Frenemy, will be on display in Metro Archives until early uh, part of 2023. Um, So, yeah. Okay. Listen, we appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Taylor. And uh, if anyone, please come by and see the exhibit. It'll be up for a while. So thank you, and we enjoyed you listening. Thank you so much, and and thank you, everyone that listened. And uh, I can't thank Metro Archives and the both of you enough for your kindness and generosity for letting us bring this exhibit. Thank you.